Carmelo is officially a rocket. Is Ben Simmons switching hands? And were the Clippers right to fire their analyst over the pursuit of a free agent? Plus, we play commissioner. It's the Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Wednesday Locked On NBA Podcast. I am John Corrales, co-host of the Locked On Celtics Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. My usual co-host, Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans, unable to join me. So I have brought in from the top, the top of the organizational chart, the one, the only, founder of the network, David Locke, here with me to bring you Locked On NBA Wednesday. David Locke, how you doing? I am great. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I probably won't be able to fulfill Jake's role completely, but excited to be here and we won't talk about hymns. Let's, let's, <laughs> uh, this isn't some sort of, uh, undercover boss thing. Like Jake Madison hasn't been you in disguise this whole time, has he? No, it? no, it is not. You know, Greg Miller of the Utah Jazz, owner of the Jazz, did an undercover boss. Did he really? Yeah. That's amazing. He worked on, he worked on the arena turnover crew. Oh wow. I didn't know that. Uh, that's pretty good. I've, I've seen like two episodes of it. So. It's a pretty good show. It's, it seems like a good show. There's always somebody crying and a big epiphany from the boss. I always wonder how those things turned out, but whatever. We'll leave that for another time. Let's, uh, let's start the show off by some of the news items of the week. Carmelo Anthony is officially a member of the Houston Rockets. Uh, his deal with the Rockets is 2.4 million, which is great for them because they don't have to really pay too much. They're already way over the tax. He still gets all his money after the buyout from the Hawks. Carmelo Anthony's fit though in Houston, David, is a question. First of all, let's start with this. How, how do you see him fitting? So I'm a numbers guy, which is interesting because Daryl Morey is the numbers guy and my numbers say it doesn't fit at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I really actually thought that part of the, I actually thought the Rockets quest for Carmelo a year ago was all a farce. I really never believed it at any point in time. He, unless they moved Ryan Anderson's contract and then maybe I think they thought it might be worth it, but I don't get it. Um, Maybe the void they have at that point after losing Ariza and losing Bamute is pretty, is really significant and simply they, their other choice is I don't know whom, like Gerald Green would be starting maybe if, Seems if like it's it. not Carmelo and so they didn't really have another choice and so therefore they went with that. Um, but you know what? I, I look at the numbers and when Bamute was on the floor last year was what, was the one player who really moved the meter for them defensively. That was, that was the player. Ariza, uh, numbers wise was really a very good offensive player last year. His efficiency was very high. You take in my numeric system, I, interestingly enough, the amount of possessions Carmelo Anthony used per game in Oklahoma City is the exact same amount of possessions that Trevor Ariza and Bamute used last year. So just offensively, the negative impact that Carmelo's inefficiency has compared to the positive efficiency of Bob Mute and Ariza playing off Chris Paul and James Harden is the same as LeBron's impact positively on a game. Hmm. That is how big a deal Carmelo's inefficiency to me offensively, and we haven't discussed what it does to them defensively where they're a switching team and now they – and the beauty of their switching last year is as much as we all pan Harden, he's really not that bad a defensive player. He He's really strong in the post. He is not great when he doesn't want to, but when he wants to, he's pretty good. Carmelo's just not good defensively anymore. He's old. It's not his fault. 
and they now have a liability defensively that they are with their switching defense, and I'm fascinated to see. And if they have to play Ryan Anderson and Carmelo at the same time, I'm really fascinated to see what happens. I have heard some suggestions that Ryan Anderson might be involved in the deal to Miami. We'll see if that works out. Uh, I think the return would be centered around James Johnson somehow, but we'll see. Uh, in the meantime, I spoke to a, an executive at Summer League in Las Vegas who suggested, and Jake and I have talked about this, but I'm interested in getting your take, who suggested that the Rockets could play Mellow at the five. I thought Billy Donovan, you know, Billy Donovan did that in game six against the Jazz, and I thought it was very creative. But then how are they playing P.J. Tucker back as a four? So then it's really... That's... And then the other one is if if Carmelo's playing at the five, then everyone's just bringing their center up for a pick and roll and bringing and I mean that's e- like when Carmelo's playing the four or the three, you can actually play some games where you do the Draymond Green tap out switch thing, and even though Carmelo's man's going to set the pick, you actually run different defender there. But if Carmelo's at the five, it's probably harder to hide him in some ways, and you're switching defense. So I'm not sure I see that as a big difference, and I'm not sure he's a good rebounder anymore. The the real question on Carmelo is, I mean, defensively, I just don't see how it works, is was last year an abnormality somehow shooting? Everyone wants to say that he'll shoot better, but he's right on his career numbers last year, and they're not great. So I, I just I don't see it. But, you know, we it's hard to – a player with his legacy and his resume – it's awfully hard to just dismiss, but I also watched him in a playoff series in which Utah really exploited him enough to beat Oklahoma City in a playoff series. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I'm, I lean closer to what you're saying than to what others are saying. I I don't know. I, I really don't know. And it's interesting that you mentioned Maury is a numbers guy, and he spent so much time kind of putting together. He he, he rose to this prominence as like the kind of sabermetric guy who's getting the most out of out of players now he's he's kind of gone very iso heavy guys and and adding carmelo he's just he's feels like he's doubling down on the isos i i don't know how houston's gonna work i, I don't know that i like this offseason for them at all but we're gonna have to wait and see how that pans out other news item uh, it turns out that ben simmons may be admitting that he's shooting with the wrong hand uh Mark Stein mentioned recently that Simmons might – there are some who expect Simmons to go all righty this season. And I know that Kevin O'Connor has been beating this drum that he's been shooting with his his wrong hand since LSU. And that, that could be – I mean, first of all, KOC would take a major victory lap. But to have a guy switch his dominant hand – this early in his career, I mean, it's wild. I can't, I can't imagine somebody doing that, even though it's probably what he should do. So Tristan Thompson did it at free throws, right? And his numbers are about the exact same as they were. I, I don't think, I don't feel like it's a good sign. Like, I don't think anybody other than a Sixer fan who wants to just take the positive story, right? Can say that that this is a good sign. I, you know, when you have gone through, I know last year was technically his rookie season, but you know, he, he had another year 
of while he's rehabbing shooting at least stationary drills. And if he hasn't been able to nail that shot down by now, then this would be the admission. Like now is the time to do it. It's his second NBA season. If, if it's not going well, just do it, I guess, and then work on it. How much worse can it get? He's not, well, shoot, but, he's not shooting well anyway. Sure. So if, if, but can it get good? Do you reasonably think that somebody who switches hands shooting at this age, I mean, there's a certain point where to use Gladwellian's 10,000 hours, and I know that's been refuted, but you still, there's a certain amount of shots you have to be taking, right? There's a certain amount, there's a touch and a feel and a amount of shots that someone has to have taken to understand and to become a good shooter like that. And I guess if your point is he's not shooting at all, it can't get worse, but can it get good? Um, I, I guess the, it could get good argument would be he's already naturally when he's driving, finishing with his right hand, like getting into the rim, into traffic, he naturally goes to that hand anyway. So for some reason he has switched to the left hand when shooting his free throws, when shooting his jumpers. That if your body is naturally telling you to go to your right, then if he just makes that switch and works on it for a season or two, then maybe the body's natural inclination to shoot that way will take over and it can get better. Will it ever get good? I don't know. But better than what he's doing, maybe. He's incredible. 16, 8, and 8 as a rookie. An old, a 21 year old rookie or whether he's a rookie or not, I know has been disputed, but it's called 16, 8, and 8 in his first year. He's incredible. Yeah. This story to me has this relevance. He will always be incredible no matter whether this works or not. He will always be a high level player. He'll probably be an all star. But if he's going to be LeBron, Durant, Steph, James Harden, that level impact player, one of those five, four or five guys in the league, Anthony Davis. I don't think you can have this story if you're going to be one of those five guys. Well, you can't shoot the way he's shooting if he's going to be one of those five guys either. I just watched the Celtics last postseason completely sag off of him. Not, not even sag. Run away from him. Give him 20 feet to shoot, and he didn't shoot. So, so much so that shoot a three, you coward has become part of the NBA consciousness and has spread throughout. And that started with the Celtics, Celtics fans on Twitter watching Ben Simmons. So if he's going to become a he three, took, he's got to figure it out. He took 42 shots all season outside 16 feet. Yeah. You can't do that. That he's not going to be, he's going to be fine during the regular season because in regular season, everybody does what they do. In the playoffs, people prepare for you and there's just a different level of preparation. You know this. And when it's fine to put up the regular season numbers, if people are going to just sag off of him and take away the one thing he does well by packing the lane and daring him to shoot and he will not shoot because he cannot shoot then he's never going to become the type of player that people think he can become. He's got to find a jumper, whether it's his left hand, whether it's his right hand, whether it's a two-handed set shot, whatever it is, he's got to figure out a way for that ball to go in the basket from 20 to 25 feet. He's got to. He's got to. Otherwise, he's just going to be a good regular season player. Shot 30% outside 10 feet for the entire season. Oh, God, that's brutal. That's just so bad. All right, last item uh, for the uh, news items this week. 
Uh, Bruce Bowen, fired by the Clippers. He was their analyst. Harsh words for, uh, Kawhi Leonard and saying he's got bad, he's been getting bad advice. And the Clippers, they fired him. And Clippers are, they, they're going to have cap space. They're going to have enough cap space to sign potentially two max players. And Kawhi Leonard wants to go to LA. There have been reports that he may not want to go to the Lakers if LeBron's there. I don't know what his, what he's thinking, but the Clippers clearly do not want to take any chances. So they fired their analyst in order to make sure, apparently, that not to offend Kawhi Leonard and his camp. Your take. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's how the story was told. So that's, and that seems to have been the messaging on the firing on purpose. Um, I wonder if there's more to it. Just, you know, he didn't live in LA. He was traveling and maybe they just decided after one year it didn't really work. Um, maybe it was also that. The other one I find, here's the d- different angle I would take on it. So there was the Woj story today also about how the Clippers will heavily pursue, uh, Kawhi Leonard. NBA players are smart. So Tobias Harris is sitting there looking and going, okay. And Patrick Beverly, who I think is a free agent at the end of the year, is going, okay. And they're all looking and saying, so, all right, I got it. So you were were a month away from training camp, and the news stories are, you don't want me. That's how how an NBA player feels about that. Right? If you're Tobias Harris... And you're reading these stories, you're like, oh, all right, so I'm going to go play for a team that doesn't want me. Like, I think that's an interesting, the impact that it has on the Clippers' season, that the narrative already is now, this year is all about Kawhi, who doesn't play for us, is a really interesting narrative. Because what that team did last year was played incredibly hard, overachieved, and now has some guys back. And... They're a little limited. Uh, I love Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who they picked up in the draft. But I wonder how people – I wonder how the, those free agents will re, are going to react to this story. It's it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Tobias Harris – they've got a, a ton of expiring contracts. So those guys, however they react, they better play well because they're going to become free agents and they got to get their money. So I think – and Doc Rivers – for whatever you want to say about Doc, he is a good motivator, and I think he can he can figure it out uh, with with that. They're not they're not winning a championship. I don't think anybody expects them to win a championship. So, uh, however they react, they react. My biggest thing is if it is as reported, if it is he said something negative about Kawhi and Kawhi's camp, and the Clippers feel like, well. Their camp is clearly sensitive and the, you know, we don't want to take any chances of them saying, Hey, why do you have this guy who criticized us here? Uh, so they, they get rid of them one way or the other, wherever people fall on this, I think one side is being very stupid. Either if Kawhi's camp is looking at this and saying, uh, we wouldn't go there if Bowens was the analyst. That's insane. That is insane. And for the Clippers to fire, uh, a broadcaster because they're afraid of the a free agent's uncle being upset. That is equally insane. Somewhere along the way here, this is I, I just find the entire thing ridiculous. Somehow this can't rise to that level. If you're maybe you're right and there could be more behind it, we'll see. But if this is just the Clippers saying 
we can't take any chances, then uh, it takes away any honesty, and then it's just pom-pom waving the rest of the way. And I get that that's how broadcasts can can get, and you're playing to the home crowd if you're the home broadcaster, but you got to have some level of honesty when when things are, aren't going well. So, uh, I don't know. That's That's my quick take on that. And we'll leave it there. So, next up here, we're going to talk about us as commissioner. Before we get to that, David, I don't know if you're aware of this, but football is starting up. There's a sport called football, the NFL. I wonder if there's a place for people to get their NFL content in a nice podcast form. Do you know of any? There is, and Locked On, Locked on NFL has got a new lineup coming, including ESPN's Mike Sando, one of the most interesting people covering the NFL. He'll be on weekly. Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback, will be on weekly. Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus, will be on weekly. Matt Williamson, Monday, will host a similar show to what we do on Locked On NBA, which is local experts on the biggest stories, and then he'll run through an ex, a national expert every single day. So go follow Locked On NFL at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Spotify, or get ready to do it on your smart speaker. You can follow for free at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It's Locked On NFL. That's pretty good. I'll, I'll put a nice word in with your manager after that read. Uh, let's move on. We are the commissioners, and so LeBron went to – the Lakers, which means another star went west, which means the star went west, which means the East is now lacking another good team. And the reaction has been to let's just forget it. Let's reseed one through 16. Forget it. Forget conferences, whatever. I know I was listening to one of your podcasts a while back and you had mentioned something that uh, interested me. So your first act as commissioner is some sort of realignment. Take us through it, please. Well, actually, my first act as commissioner would be go to 32 teams. Let's just get that clear. Well, okay. Because um, it, <laughs> it gives you all sorts of freedom to do things. But I, I agree. really, I agree with that. I have been really disappointed with our move away from divisions because I actually think conferences are the problem. And I actually wish that the one thing I wish the league had was some sort of great rivalry. Like if Boston and Philadelphia were battling for division titles or playing, like that rivalry has some value. And you know, when the Red Sox play the Yankees in baseball, there's something to that. Maybe that's just historically based, but I wish we had a little bit more of that. So I would actually like to bring back divisions. I would eliminate conferences. I would allow the division winners to be guaranteed a playoff spot. No big deal. And I would schedule the following way. You play your division four times like we do now, mm-hmm. and then I would basically turn every other division into a pod that rotates Year in and year out. So you play two of the other pods four times, and then the other ones you would play two times, or maybe you play each of them three times, and it actually comes out a little lower than 82, which is just fine. Uh, it would allow, if you have 32 teams, to play some of Adam Silver's soccer um, tournaments that he wants to do with basketball and some of those kind of things to get to 82 games, and well, you don't have to. And I think it would be fabulous because the one thing I think – that is not only wrong with the fact that the Western Conference is completely dominant to the Eastern Conference, uh, and that we're not putting the best 16 teams in the playoffs, and that Eastern Conference teams have such a dramatically easier route to advance in the playoffs, is that if Kevin Durant spends his entire career in the Western Conference, he only goes to Madison Square Garden and the Garden once a year. And I don't think 
that if you have a great player like Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, they're in the West. I think they should be going to Boston twice a year sometimes. I think they should be going to Philadelphia twice a year sometimes. And I think that if there's a player, like the cool thing about LeBron going to the Lakers is that now Western Conference teams get to see him twice a year. And I think that that, that would be the move I would make. The travel's a little bit more, but we've gotten pretty good at it with the, with the length out schedule that we just built. They've done a really good job of changing. They could do it. It wouldn't be a problematic. And then you just do the playoffs seated one through 16 without conferences. And you know what? Fine. You don't get Celtics Lakers guaranteed again, but you might get Celtics Lakers again, but you, and you could get two West Coast teams or two East Coast teams in the playoffs and that's not great for TV. And there's a, Chances in the semifinal. I got all the reasons why, but you know what? Right now, we have just isn't isn't equitable. Um, my my concern is the same concern, and and I don't know if there is a bit of naivete behind that, but I, I am concerned about the the travel. And just from a Boston perspective, what if the Celtics have to go as the number one seed have to go face? Western Conference teams in every one of their playoffs. What if they have to go and face the Clippers, the Lakers, the the Jazz, and the Warriors? And, and that would be, uh, I think, some some amount of uh, disparity travel-wise. I, I think that would just be an extremely tough road. And that that's my my biggest problem with the conference uh, realignment or going one through sixteen. The risk. So I'm gonna get into I'm gonna get into the weeds here a little bit because I I think we love this weeds. conversation. This conversation is cute and everything, but it's totally unrealistic. Yeah. Because the way it works right now is I think you need about 75 percent of the owners to vote for such a decision. And there's no way Eastern Conference teams are going to vote for this because they have an easy route sure. to the playoffs. Sure. So the only way that you can get someone to vote for it is if they're getting something out of it. And that's why I like my pod travel system in the regular season mm-hmm. because now those Eastern Conference – oh, oh, I might get – right? Like the Lakers are now coming to me twice in Boston instead of once every year. Right. I get another revenue date out of that. Um, I think there's a po- – at least a positive. To your – now, so to address your issue – the league talks about this all the time. The league's concern on this staying in the weeds is twofold. One, Boston plays Portland and the next conference they, in the next round they play Milwaukee who just finished playing Chicago. Right. And it's an incredible disadvantage. You know what? I just think that's a crock of crap. Because we have playoff series all the time where like the lake in the past where the Lakers played the Suns or the Lakers played you know, the Warriors played the Blazers. In the meantime, the, somebody else on the West Coast is playing San Antonio. They're not close. I mean, right? That, like, that, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, you know, going from Portland to San Antonio is, is a haul. And sure, sure. There, there's some of that for sure. And um, you're right. There, there is a chance that you could get Miami Portland and that would suck. But that's the chance. That's the negative. Nothing's 100% perfect, mm-hmm. but it, in every other way, it's a million times better. Here's the real issue why they won't do it. What happens when the conference finals are both set up so that one's in Portland? Let's say it's Portland and the Lakers are the two home teams on the same night. Right. They can't have that. Right. They can't have Utah, Lakers, Warriors, Portland – 
all hosting in the second round on the same night. Mm-hmm. Yep, TV schedule will be a mess, and then somebody will play late, and yeah. That's the reason why this will – that's the in-the-weeds reason why this will never get presented. Well, that's a, that's a fair point, and for all – everybody's, like, worked up about this, and it's fun to talk about. Uh, I guess I guess the takeaway is it's, it'll probably never happen. I think the closest we'll ever get is reseeding maybe the conference finals. And, and once you get to the final four, you reseed the final four potentially. I think that's the closest we might ever, ever get to, to this. Here, here's what I think. I think, and, and by the way, um, I mean, I, I have Chuck Cooperstein coming on the show tomorrow, so I'll ask him and see what he thinks. He'll probably think I'm nuts. Yeah. Um, Chuck Cooperstein's the radio voice of the Mavericks, been in the league for a long time. He'll give the Dallas perspective. Uh, the only thing I think that's really too bad about the discrepancy between the Eastern and Western Conference is how much it dictates the narrative of the league falsely. Um if that's if that makes sense, that teams move through the Eastern Conference playoffs or move through the Eastern Conference and get a tremendous amount of accolades, and teams are that are in the Western Conference would do the same if they had the opportunity, and they don't get that same accolade. Yeah. So you're saying like it, that's just not you can't just put a Denver Nuggets in the East and people say, well, Nuggets might be. I might not even make the playoffs in the West, but in the East they'd be a home a home team. Uh, like Port, like Port, like I don't, I think Portland might have beat Boston in the playoffs last year. They might have. They, they certainly might have. I mean, right? And they lost in the first round. And Terry Stotts is now on the ropes if they have a bad start this year. Mm-hmm. Whereas Brad Stevens, who is a great coach, I'm not saying he's not, but Brad Stevens is you know a mastermind. If Boston had played New Orleans in the first round, I think they lose, particularly with their injuries. And if Portland had played Boston with their injuries, I think Portland would have advanced to the conference finals. Might have even beat Cleveland. Possible, but it's also possible they wouldn't. Right. And, but know. that's, but that's where, I mean, that's where it just dictates the narrative at a, at a unfortunate level. Fair. Fair enough. All right. Let's, let's move on because we're going to run out of time if we don't. Are you on my next one? We're on, we're on the next, my next one. My next oh, one. Your next one. It's, we're gonna alternate. We'll alternate. Don't worry. Oh. You're coming up. Okay. I'm gonna add a fourth official. I'm gonna do four officials. Only one? I'm gonna add only one. Because, I, first of all, I don't want too many people on the floor, but we'll see, we'll see about, about that in a minute. I, I want at least a fourth official on the floor. So we can at least better see some of those bang bang plays and have one more angle on those plays to, and, and maybe have some sort of, uh, conference on controversial calls that we might get them right without having to go to the, the replay all the time. Replay is fine for certain plays, but if we can get a, another perspective on the floor, and just have a quick conference and then say, I saw this, definitively saw this. We might be able to get, uh, we might be able to get better calls, faster pace without having to go to replay, uh, more accurate calls. And I, I just think the, the, the way these guys move, the, the speed, how fast these athletes are, it, it's almost impossible to have uh, these referees running back and catching the plays, I feel like some of these calls that they're making are, are kind of anticipating 
certain things that happen and they don't really see everything. So at least one other set of eyes on the floor would help. I agree with everything you said. I just don't like your logic. Okay. What don't you like about it? You're starting off of, you're building off of the system that exists. Uh huh. And I think that these are unquestionably in my mind, these are the best officials in the world. I don't have any doubt on that at all. I think they're the best in the world. I think they're the best trained. I think they're the best coached. I think they're the best. They're, they're under such a microscope and I think they're the best in the world. And they're struggling more every year as the game spreads out, gets faster. All the things you just said as, as Steph Curry arrived and the game got wider, it got and faster and the pace of play, right? The, the, Mike D'Antoni sons of whatever t- 12 years ago would be 27th in pace of play now, right? <laughs> so the game's gotten incre- much fat. So I think you have to start all over. Same guys or women completely change everything you're doing about it and rethink about the entire structure of it to fix it. So I would go to six. You would go to six. Before we do that, Let's just take a second to breathe here. We have two more topics coming up. I want to remind people about the other aspect of the Locked On NBA Network. We've expanded now into Locked On Major League Baseball, haven't we? We have, and we are launching college sports as well coming up in late August. We've got some exciting things. You remember that great website, SEC Country? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Cox did away with that, but we're going to bring back a bunch of those guys and wow. uh, bring back some SEC flavor, and we're going to expand into college sports here soon on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Wow, lots to be excited about. Uh, so go subscribe, whatever uh, MLB, Lockdown College, watch for all of that stuff. Rapid expansion here on the Lockdown Network. Okay, six officials. Explain to me how you how you break it all down and start over. So. I just have two officials that are on the baseline of each side and two officials in the middle, and the only officials that move are the two in the middle. Okay. Because to what you were talking – here's what I – I agree 100% with what you said earlier. The call I see missed the most in the league is the quick turn from one court to the other where a – how old? 50-year-old man who's in great shape. Sure who's playing all 48 minutes, who plays only road games, 56 of them usually a year or so, is trying to keep up with 24-year-old elite athletes. It's a, it's, come on. Like, that's, like that's flawed. Absolutely. That's like, that's, so that's where I say, okay, I don't have any doubt that if I put my, the guys in position and give them an opportunity to make the call and see the call, that they're the best in the world, and they'll do the best job of anyone that's out there. It won't be perfect, but it'll be the best job. I agree with you that another set of two eyes actually helps as the game has spread out and as it's gotten wider with the advent of the three-point line. I think you have to adapt to that. There's too much space to guard. You know, when Charles Barkley and Carl Malone were bouncing it and backing in, there wasn't a lot to watch. So, like, you kept an eye on it. Now you got a legal defense, and you got this, and you got Quinn Snyder running, you know, more pin down off the ball, on the ball picks of any team in the league by like 50 more than anyone else in the league. And you've got all these other things in the Warriors running their off ball stuff and the Rockets switching it. The game's incredible right now. And so it's, inc- it's very, very difficult to officiate. So I agree 
with your premise, we need another eyes. Okay, so now we got four eyes or four eight eyes, but why are they? Why do they have to run the floor? Let's keep them fresh. They're playing only road games. They're working fifty six a night. They're traveling to every game. They're flying commercial, and guys like Benny Adams can't even move. And Monty McCutcheon and Steve Javi were two of the best officials in the league, and they had to retire because their knees went. Well, if I get another seven years out of them because they're not running as much, great. And you know what? So a guy gets fat. I don't care. I just want his eyes. I don't need his legs. <laughs> no, really. Like Moose Stubing and all the baseball officials, they're fat. They can still call the game. Sure. I, I think part of it, uh, you need to keep these uh, – I think you need to keep them active and involved. I think there's just a natural human inclination that if you're standing there on the baseline, you have a tendency to get distracted. And they – their job is to not get distracted, but – you keep uh, an official down at one baseline by the the bench, and, man, that official is going to be hearing it from the bench the entire time. The coaches, the players are going to be talking to that official every single time the ball is down the other end of play. At some point, he's just going to keep hearing, 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 or she's going to keep hearing, 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 and there's going to be a response, and then I think there's too too much for distraction. I would compromise. Oh, I can, solve, I can solve that problem, by the way. Yeah. You want me to solve that problem? Every time a player demonstrably argues with an official, the official can go to the instant replay, and if the official's right, it's two fouls on the player, not one. <laughs> Guess who will shut up? Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, <laughs> that's that's. I would call that outside the box thinking. Uh, but could you imagine when Kevin Durant, who complains about everything? Is yelling at the official and the official says, I hear you. You want me to go to the monitor? If I'm wrong, if I'm, if I'm wrong, we're not going to call it. But if you're wrong, it's two fouls. What do you, what happens at that moment? No, I get it. I get it. I, I, I'm sure that he would be like, well, you know, I, I, I get it. I, that would obviously never happen, but that would be an interesting deterrent. Uh, I, I do think that adding the officials, adding at least one more, Maybe two, maybe three would be, uh, beneficial somehow. Uh, I, I just, I definitely do not think that they are always put in the best position to make calls. And, and just one last note on this. When I was at Summer League, I got to talk to the officials to get an inside look at their training and everything. They talk about getting stacked up and having a bunch of players in between them. I think. Adding another set of eyes, at least at least one more body on the floor can at least take away some of that. You the, even if one official gets stacked up, there's another set of eyes to prevent that uh, from deterring calls on the play. So we both agree more officials somehow to better officiate the game, and I think it might even speed it up. All right, my last thing, my last act as commissioner is to end the July moratorium. July 1st comes around. First of all, you start free agency at like noon on July 1st. Just middle of the day. Let everybody get excited. None of this midnight crap. And July 1st is July 1st. I don't want to, I'm sick of hearing about this guy agreed, but we got to wait a week and a half before he actually signs. Just do it, sign it, boom. And I think part of the, uh, one of the side effects is that helps. First of all, it takes away some of the, players agreeing and then not actually honoring their agreement. Once you agree, you agree, you sign your contract, it's done. Uh, I think it forces GMs to be a little bit better, maybe a little bit smarter. And it 
also, one thing I want to kind of even out a little bit is restricted free agency. Those guys are at a significant disadvantage. Having that week where all of the money that they were waiting for dries up and everybody's committed to these these contracts and restricted guys sit there for a week and be like, there's nothing. I can't I can't do anything because teams are afraid of getting their cap tied up by saying we're going to offer you this and but we're not sure. I think your team might match. I I want to keep the restricted free agent kind of framework where teams do have the right to match. That's collectively bargained and I think that's a good way for players to keep uh, teams to keep players long term. But I don't want those players to be so screwed by this this moratorium. I just think it cleans everything up nicely. It's more exciting for the fans. It's better for the players. It's better for the teams. You're hired. All right. I'm in. Woo-hoo. All right. That's the program. I'm going to thank Locked On Network founder David Locke. David Locke, please let the people know where they can find you on social media. On Twitter, I can be followed at, at Locked On Sports. I have a new Facebook group called Locked On Jazz, which has been a lot of fun. It's pretty jazz heavy though. So if you're not a jazz fan, then, you know, you'll just get to watch jazz fans. Uh, and, uh, I'll be with you tomorrow with Chuck Cooperstein doing our over-under show. We're going to break all the rules of the network and talk for way too long. Love it. Just like we did tonight, but you're on the show, so I get away with it this time. Yeah, it's not good for me when you do this. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, all right. I'm John Corrales, co-host of the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. Uh, quick plug for my podcast since we're plugging things. We're going through the Celtics schedule one by one. We're picking every game, all 82. So if you're a Celtics fan, go check that out. Or if you want to see how we think we're going to do against your team, go check that out. Subscribe. Here, you gotta answer our, you gotta answer our big question. What is it? Does Gordon Hayward play on November 9th? Yes. It's the oh. first back-to-back, and it's the fifth game in like eight nights. I think, if anything, they might sit him the game before. I, Brad Stevens is well aware of that moment. He is not going to prevent him from playing in Utah. I, I've already picked on the podcast that he hits the game-winning shot. Come on. You probably my call. Like my call will be tremendous. <laughs> Prepare for it. Start scripting it now. Hey, everybody, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five star rating. Give us that good review. It really helps us move up the rankings. Will they review? Will they review that call and wait like six hours to determine whether or not it's actually accurate? They won't need to. They won't need to. It'll be released in plenty of time. He's going to have that finger in the air. And in my in my world, it's not going to be the index finger. But we know that he's too nice to do that. So I'm just going to say he's going to hit that shot, and the Celtics are going to roll out of Utah with a win. But Utah might get a revenge in Boston, so that'll be funny. How? All right, since we're here, before we wrap up, how will he be re- received? Throttled. Throttled. See, that's what I thought. There was some debate on the podcast. I think he's just going to get eviscerated. Yeah, it, it'll be bad. All right, Locked On NBA, subscribe, check the show out tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody.